coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss, and that's how I got scammed. We're talking about the story Cory Doctorow shares of how he was fished once and how the scammers tried to scam him again days later. Uh, next up, you're not my typo. For the past decade, millions of emails destined for .mil U.S. military addresses were actually directed at .ml addresses, that being top-level domain for the African nation of Mali. And of course, we'll do our fun game, Gold Guidance and Grievances. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 179, recorded on February 15th, 2023. I'm your co-host, Callie. Filet of fish with a PH, Fencil. With me is co-host Ian, Dada Noper, Campbell. And last but not least, Kelly.Mall, Malloy. Welcome, everybody. Uh, I tried to go for a, a play on Data Broker, but I don't think it worked. It's a, you know what? I didn't know what you were going for, but now that you've explained it, I, I do like it. <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes you do have to explain the joke. I appreciate the consolation laugh. I think Kelly has the best name of all of us. Get, like, given given the story we're going to talk about, I, I do really like that name. But sometimes these come up, like sometimes they just you know fall out of your mouth, and then sometimes you have to really think on them. And this is like a week where I feel like we're just like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think nothing's easy this week. <laughs> Why is that? Any thoughts? Well, here. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kelly. Because next week is a long weekend. Oh, that. Oh, yeah. That makes that sense. That makes sense. And that is actually why we are recording on February 15th <laughs> instead of Monday because we are observing President's Day. So that's good for us. And then we just we just had Valentine's Day. We just published a, a Breaking Badness episode for Valentine's Day. That's fun that it fell on a holiday. Good stuff. Did you call it uh, Valentine's Day? No, but now I'm mad at myself that I didn't think of that. <laughs> 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 I will say I did notice... A lot of people in the InfoSec community had very fun puns uh, for Valentine's Day. It was like, did you see one that was like, you must be malware because I can't get you out of my system. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think InfoSec uh, showed up for, uh, for Valentine's Day. I saw some good ones, especially, uh, was it Selena Larson um, had a bunch of good ones, especially. Which ones do you remember? Oh, um, uh, off the top of my head, I don't. I just remember. How oh funny man! They were. Well, I'm gonna look those up. <laughs> well, maybe we should talk about some infosec because that that is why we're here today. And the first story that we're gonna talk about is, and that's how I got scammed, which is you know, admittedly not that far off from Cory Doctorow's um, title of his own article, um, but being. A millennial and and knowing about that uh, that Aaron Carter song, and that's how I beat Shaq. I couldn't resist. So, the subsect of infosec that crosses with millennials, that crosses with Aaron Carter, will appreciate that. And I don't know what that looks like, but here again, 
sometimes these fall out of your mouth and sometimes they're they're a little more difficult. Hey, it, it could be a cult classic. It could just be that we need to let it age out in the culture and then it gets uh, appreciated as it should. Okay. I'm I'm I will play the waiting game. But in this in this story, uh Cory Doctorow shares um how he was fished um and how the scammers tried to scam him again, you know, only a few days later. And um Ian, I personally like this story because it made me feel about it made me feel better about things that I've done. Um, and our friend Null Cookies actually made me feel better about it too by reinforcing the idea that anybody can get scammed. It doesn't matter how much experience you have in this industry. Um, do, do you have an experience like this where you got you got scammed? Not directly. Uh, some indirect experience. Are you are you are you saying you're better than everyone? Absolutely not. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely <laughs> not immune. Um, I could get roped in just like Dr. O did or any number of folks, at, especially at just the right time. Um, I actually uh, myself sent this article to a few people I know that got scammed with a preface, hoping it made them feel a little less ashamed because it, it can happen to anyone. And the shame is very real and unnecessary. Right. I've definitely. Um, I don't have direct. I was just going to say, I I have messaged you, I think, twice now about mistakes I've made on a Saturday. <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> hey, I, I think that's where it starts, though. Uh, you, you can't start being perfect. So recognizing that you might have done something um, ill-advised after the fact is a good start. Um, and then you just try to expand that mindfulness from there. Um, I, I, I spent a decade as a police dispatcher, so I was kind of immersed in some of this and the paranoia and tinfoil around it to begin with. <clears throat> I saw my fair share of people slink into the department to report fraud, embarrassed and shaken. It's, it's an existential thing to uh, to a lot of people to to become a victim like that, even though it's just money. Um, I've also spent a fair amount of time helping relatives sort things out after becoming fraud victims. And it, it makes me furious at the fraudsters every time. Um, it's eerie and enraging just how well some of them can target and exploit people. But uh, yeah, like I said, I, I sent this particular article to some people too, specifically as a lesson that it can happen to anyone, um, even Cory Doctorow. I will say my... I like the whole article, but I was especially, I'm like, I'm definitely reading this because the first line was, I was robbed, was W-U-Z. Um, but what what is Dr. O's experience with fraud for those that might not know? So some people may may take on bridge at this, but I think Corey Dr. O is a hacker's hacker in a lot of ways. Um, currently, he's a fiction and nonfiction writer, but he's also a longtime technologist. He immerses himself in culture and social impact instead of trying to pretend that the technology is separate from it. Um, my first experience of Cory Doctorow was a great short story uh, he wrote about an apocalypse titled When Sysadmins Ruled the World. 
And it, it presented a really unique vantage point about the end of the world or a world from both a systems and system administrator point of view. And it really caught my imagination. And he's also written whole fiction books about fraud and scams and red teaming. And with, you know, similarly themed topics, he's a regular attendee of DEF CON and apparently especially uh, loves the social engineering village, which uh, is a lot about person to person fraud activity. Um, one of the things that draws me to Cory Doctorow the most is his consistent position that people should and do matter more than just about anything else. I don't know if he describes himself as, as such, but he's definitely a humanist. And being a humanist is messy. It takes a lot of gray area thinking and understanding and wondering. Um, you've got to discard absolutes. And uh, systems administration is the same way in some cases once you get past the si simple stuff. So Corey proves regularly that he's ears deep in the gray areas of both people and systems. And that's where you find the gaps and the liminal spaces and the opportunities for fraud. Thanks, Ian. Um, I don't I don't want you to, you know, give us like a full description of his article, because I, I would I hope people read it. it is it is actually a very fun, quick, fascinating read, but can you summarize how the attack was laid out against Dr. O? So his first impression of trouble was a poor quality, as in poor voice quality, after hours fraud department call. And I think a lot of us have had that before, have had that specific experience. Um, he was traveling and in a bit of a disheveled scramble, as most of us get mid-travel, um, he provided what information he could, then he hung up and concentrated on getting where he was going and dealing with the fallout after. Um, when he showed up at the credit union a few days later with paperwork, which I'm sure wasn't fun to begin with, he learned that that initial call had really enabled the fraud. Uh, Dr. O provided the last seven digits of his card when it was asked, rather than the last four. He was in a rush. His nerves were shot between travel stress and the emotional response to uh, the call and gave all seven uh, of the last digits. Since the first nine digits of a card are uniform across an institution's issued cards, if a scammer has that information, then those last seven digits mean they now have the full card. Uh, the caller tried to keep Dr. O on the phone for as long as possible and was either frustrated or pretended frustration when Corey cut the call short, which sounds pretty convincing. Uh, but by that point, they had enough uh, info to do about $8,000 worth of fraud damage on that card. That is a lot of money. That's pretty significant. I want that kind of credit. I know. Me too. Um so he he talks about how timing timing was a big play here, like you had like you had mentioned. You know, he's traveling, he's tired, um, he's kind of you know trying to get get himself together. Um, and we talk a lot about how threat actors will take the path of least resistance, but it seems like the way they aligned with timing was a bigger lift. Do you do you think we can expect to see more of that? The timing might have been coincidental for the threat actor or not. But it was worst case for uh, for Dr. O. He had just published two big articles that were getting a bunch of traffic and a bunch of crosstalk. He had just wiped and reinstalled his phone operating system, and that led to him getting fished on social media. Um, 
and he had uh, other things going on. Like we, we talked about, he was uh, mid-travel and dealing with that. So he describes his situation as Swiss cheese security. This is what um, he says. Imagine multiple slices of Swiss cheese all stacked up, the holes in one slice blocked by the slice below it. All the slices move around, and every now and again, a hole opens up that goes all the way through the stack. Zap. That's those gray areas I was talking about a minute ago and how those gaps and liminal spaces line up to present opportunity uh, can be maddening and unexpected. A lot of it uh, that is made easier by data brokers, which Dr. O rightly calls non-consensual doxing giants. The amount of information you can find by open source intelligence techniques is surprising. The amount of information that you can get on someone just by spending 30 bucks a month with a data broker is damning and terrifying. Oh, absolutely. We actually, um, one of the top episodes of Breaking Badness last year was um, when we uh, talked about data brokers with uh, your manager, Ian, with Daniel Schwalbe. He talked about how data brokers, you know, use uh, information from those online therapy uh, websites uh, to, to gather information. It was uh, it, it was a it was a fascinating story. I'll reshare it in the show notes, but it's you know, it you're right. It's it's awful and terrifying. Yeah, it's an amazing, amazing sort of business model that it even exists. And uh, it's probably worth giving a shout out to Senator Ron Wyden's office here because they're probably um, uh, in the forefront of places trying to uh, put a leash on data brokers, at least. It's incredibly difficult, obviously, but uh, Wyden's office uh, has really good pull and really good people working for it. Excellent. That's great to hear. Um, so uh, Dr. O discusses his thoughts on how AI will make this worse. What, what are some of the concerns he has? Um, and do you agree with them? So uh, as far as AI goes, this is another one of those cases where you can see those liminal spaces between people and systems lining up to present opportunity to bad actors. Uh, Dr. O talks about banks and other institutions grooming us to accept the poorly implemented, poorly executing AI systems that those bad actors could use to automate and vastly upscale their campaigns. So the, the banks are getting us used to receiving calls from those systems. And now uh, that they're uh, more widely available, the bad actors can use them and um, uh, depend on that programming that the banks provided for them. Um, AI also allows those bad actors to easily and endlessly iterate their campaigns uh, straight up like like a marketing crew. They're doing micro. They can do microsecond A/B testing to determine which scam workflow works best. Um, as far as AI goes, uh, um, there's a couple sort of points in in the development of AI that are interesting and enlightening. I think um, Doug Seven has a great blog post about an early machine learning implementation fail um, from a company called Knight Capital. Um, they self-destructed in 2012 because of a failed deployment of a high-speed algorithmic trading update. Um, once trading started, they knew pretty quick that something was wrong, but it took them 45 minutes to pull the plug. And in that 45 minutes, the system accounted for $460 million worth of losses. Knight Capital was only worth $365 million at that point, uh, previous to that. 
so they were they were sunk. Another early implementation of uh, uh, AI and machine learning is systems that tried to learn to play the game Go, particularly AlphaGo and AlphaZero, which were, uh, if I remember, Google or Alphabet project, uh, projects. AlphaGo took several years and 30 million games of Go to reach mastery level, but no human can play 30 million games in that time. The next iteration of that program, AlphaZero, used one-twelfth the electricity, reached mastery in uh, 4.9 million games, so one-sixth the amount of games of AlphaGo, and it did it in three days. It, it, uh, AlphaZero uh, surpassed AlphaGo in three days of games. Um, last I checked, uh, OpenAI had a Dota 2 bot that um, was like 2,000 to 10 against uh, 2,000 wins and 10 losses against humans because it could amass 45,000 years of experience in gaming in 10 months' time. We can't do that. Humans can't. Um, and we can't properly conceive of the fundamental and developmental differences it causes in these decision-making systems. So we can't deal with the speed and it's being built into everything right now. So the AI ends up being a, a, a technical problem but also a social one. I agree with Dr. O wholeheartedly. Every implementation of um, uh, AI products I've seen right now, uh, especially large language models and generative AI has been half conceived and poorly implemented and thrown headlong into production without uh, any responsible approach or much respons responsible approach toward possible social impact. Uh, my good friend and philosophy of technology, Professor Damian Williams, does a great job of covering this issue by showing the interrelationships of capitalism and politics and race and human fallibility and how they come together to make AI implementations an exponentially dangerous amplifier um, of inequality, fraud, systemic bias, and stress. Um, he has a great, uh, Damien has a great uh, piece in American Scientist that's literally titled Bias Optimizers because they can do it with uh, both speed and precision that humans can't reach. It's a problem of incentives and good old fashioned human, uh, good old fashioned human betterment hasn't been a primary incentive in most tech deployments for ages, maybe ever. The most recent one I can think of is the automobile seatbelt, because they, they, if I recall correctly, released the patent on it so everybody could use it. Everybody could build it into uh, vehicles. Now we're leaning on systems that can upscale exploitation, not in human time and human brain cycles, but in distributed or concentrated ways that give the systems and those that design them more time per second to learn or exploit or extract from us, which is a weird concept, right? Someone else having more time per second than us, because second is a, a measure of time. It, it, it's hard to wrap your brain around. So an exploitative uh, system that a back, bad actor is using that works in femtoseconds means it can make those holes in Swiss cheese security much bigger, and it can align those holes up much easier than we can predict or than we can consider in the moment. So yeah, I, I think we're going to see more of this. Sorry for the rant. Yeah, but as you're talking, I'm like, uh-oh, uh-oh. <laughs> oh, 
boy. But but thank you for for walking us through that. That's you know, it's all it's all really good information to consider for sure. Um, so if you are a new, I, and I do feel like this lends us into our next uh, part of this, which is you know we like to rank what we discuss by our hoodie rating. Um, and if you're a newer listener, first of all, thank you for listening. Um, second of all, the hoodie rating means um, we talk about uh, how how catastrophic is what we're what we're discussing on a scale of one to ten hoodies. If you can picture a hacker in a hoodie. Um, one is, you know, not so bad and, uh, 10 is what I call, you know, end of days. Um, so I guess with, with that information, um, you know, uh, since, since Ian, you, you gave us the overview of, uh, of the article, Kelly, hearing what Ian had to say about this particular attack, would, like, how would you rate this, um, on a scale of one to 10, uh, 10 being the worst of, of how, dangerous something like this is i would say a seven gotcha ian do you do you feel similarly yeah i think it's uh, i think it's up to about an eight just because it feeds back into itself and the the problem isn't just that it becomes more and more precise and more and more targeted but also when it feeds on itself it becomes less and less accurate and floods everything else with uh, garbage so it'll it'll be that much harder to actually get non-garbage than to um, uh, get precise targeting it's it's a big problem yeah it, it does sound like it's a big problem but we are we are in a community looking to to work on that. So, so I guess that's the good news here. Um, but thank you so much, Ian, for walking us through that article. It was, you know, again, it was, uh, a really interesting read. Um, he, it's actually, it might be my first, uh, read of something of Cory Doctorow's, but, um, I think I'm going to be reading a lot more because the way that he lays things out is very, um, accessible to somebody like myself who uh, doesn't have—I have some technical chops—but um, he explains things very well in a way that everybody can understand. And it was—it was also a funny piece, so I definitely recommend it to our listeners. Um, we are going to move on and talk about "You're Not My Typo," um, which is, you know, for the past decade. Millions of emails destined for um, .mil, that's .mil, U.S. military addresses, were actually directed at .ml addresses, um, and that is the top-level domain for the African nation of Mali. So, um, Kelly, this has been, uh, you know, a story that's been unfolding for a while, and it's been, uh, you know, this has been happening for a decade. How was it finally discovered that this was going on? So... This is a bit of a shaggy dog story. Um, There were several, there are several top level country codes um, that belong to small developing nations. Um, They include .ga for Gabon and uh, GQ for Equatorial Guinea, um, TK for Tokelau, and ML, .ml for Mali, which is the one that is the one most of interest here. Um, and they were, run, they were operated or contracted by a company called Freenom. And Freenom, you would go to Freenom 
you would say, hey, I would like to register a domain name. And they'd say, okay, you can have this key smash random string dot GA for free. And that's, that's fine if you're trying to test a website or something like that. You don't need a catchy name, right? But if you are also trying to fish or spam or something where you know the domain is going to be blocked quickly, that was a perfect application for that. Um, in, it was about a year ago, it was in March of 2023, Meta ended up suing Freenom because they said they facilitated abuse of Meta's services via phishing, um, spam, scams, and they basically put Freenom out of business with this lawsuit. When that happened, the, the registrars who operated the country codes, it went back to the countries in question. So Tokelau took its registration back, um, you know, dot uh, ML went back to Mali and is run now by the Malian government. Um, there, but there was a man um, who operated the dot ML registry for on behalf of Mali for a long time, for 10 years actually, and he contracted it, it out to Freenom. Um, but he operated it for 10 years and Mali, the country, decided not to renew his contract. When that happened, he said, hey, just so you know, I'm getting mail for .ml, .mil domains, um, which is the top level, the top level domain for the US military. Um, .ml is also one letter off from .nl, so, which is the Netherlands. So apparently he also got quite a bit of mail for uh, Dutch government and some military officials as well. And when his, when his contract was coming, was set to expire and Molly said they had no intention of renewing it, um, he kind of spilled the beans on this and it, it caused a great deal of consternation in some quarter. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and that's something that I was uh, wanting to ask you to share with our listeners too. Like, what are the consequences of a typo like that? Um, you know, obviously it's affecting the U S military, which seems like the consequences are pretty dire. It can be. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the mail is probably, it's probably junk mail. I mean, you, you can look at your own inbox and see the ratio of actual useful email to, you know, junk that you really have no interest in. And it's not unreasonable to think that military addresses are not any different. However, it only takes one for that to be an issue. And one of the biggest concerns about this is that Mali is 
currently allied with Russia. So have they have they been aligned with Russia for the whole uh, past decade? This has been going uh, on? yes, more so now. They have uh, Wagner Group mercenaries fighting in the country right now. So they're perhaps more closely aligned than they were previously. So, okay, but gotcha. it, it, he said it was, the operator said that it was millions of emails a day. Oh, it's, uh, and it's millions of emails daily. Do you think yes. that's kind of, if it's daily, do you think it's kind of more in the billions of, of emails if it's going on for a, a decade like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Um, He said that he didn't transfer any of that mail. Uh, But, you know, now that the domain has been repatriated, so to speak, um, there's no telling who has access. Right. And the article um, that we're referencing for... Um, our listeners in our show notes, it mentions that the Pentagon said that there are technical controls in place that prevent users from sending emails to the wrong place. But, you know, how does how does that end up being a mistake like this goes on for for, a you know, the better part of a decade, you know, even even with controls in place? So I have some experience with email and I have trouble believing that that's likely. Um, I'm sure that there are some measures. Some of them are giving people non-standard email aliases. So, you know, John Smith may not have jsmith at army.mil, so to speak. He may have, um, you know, like pterodactyl velociraptor at army.mil just to uh, reduce the possibility of spear phishing and social engineering and things like that. So I can definitely see that that would be the case. More than that, I'm not sure how else they could prevent that. So I'm guessing that they probably had a, a visual flag system, kind of like um, Google Workspace does, where if you're sending, uh, you know, if you're you're logged into your uh, .mil mail, and I, I dealt with this a, a bit when I was in the House of Representatives, um, when you're logged into your the uh, interface for your .mil mail, sending mail outside of an approved domain, it probably uh, throws a a visual flag that warns you that it's going external somewhere. Whether they have an actual technical block to stop that from being sent, I'd be, uh, I definitely join you in being uh, uh, skeptical of that. And email coming in to the organization from a third party who's not affiliated with the military and isn't using that mail system, is just a free-for-all. If I want to send secrets to somebody in the military and I'm, you know, John Smith, I could just pop open a window and guess at email addresses I find likely and send it off. Oh boy, yeah, for sure. Um, and, and you, Kelly, had mentioned that um, 
that pr- the individual who was managing the top level domain, his name's Johann. I, I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. Johannes Zerbier. Um, so you mentioned his contract expired last year. Do we have any information on what has transpired since his contract um, expired? Um, any information on you know who's managing that top level domain or or what's what the status is now of of misdirected email? So it looks right now like it's being operated by the government of Mali. Okay, gotcha. So uh, so ju- just over general government but no individual is is watch is monitoring that it doesn't look that way gotcha and one of the things um that's interesting about this particular story is uh it was just kind of coincidental is um yesterday freenom uh that group you had mentioned shared a press release on that lawsuit regarding, you know, their situation with Meta. So, you know, they're providing the free domain names and country codes for the small nations, including Mali. Um, and, uh, you know, those top level domains were tra- transferred back to the country owners. Um, you know, what's what has been the outcome of that dispute, which I, I'm, I'm excited for you to share this. It's a very, very interesting outcome. So yesterday, Freenom issued a press release saying that they have resolved the lawsuit brought by Meta. Um, And they said that the terms were confidential. Um, And they recognized Meta's legitimate interest in enforcing their intellectual property rights and protecting their users from fraud and abuse. So then Freenom says that they have independently and not associated with this decided to exit the domain name business, including the operation of any registries. So that just, those are two things that just happened to occur at the same time, but. That's a fantastic coincidence. Yeah, who would think? Um, But Freenom says that while they wind down their domain name business, they're going to go ahead and act on abuse reports from Meta which is novel. Um, But they also, going forward, would like to create a block list to address phishing, DNS abuse, and cyber squatting issues. So they'd like to do the thing that they were accused of doing. You gotta be kidding me. Yeah, I, when I was talking to Callie about this yesterday, I said it's a bit of a, you know, Hello, I'm Mr. Fox, and I'm here to guard your hen house situation. Um, but does it mean that, like, they, so the release said that's what they're what they would like to do? But do you think they will that Meta is actually going to work with them to to work on those block lists? I don't, I don't think so. Um, I maybe they can find investors to do that. That to me seems like a tall order especially when there are people who have lots and lots and lots of experience um, who currently do create and implement block lists to address phishing, DNS abuse, and cyber squatting. Um, And many reputation systems uh, that also can address those issues. I'm not sure who would invest in this or use it. 
but you know yeah, it's, it's very interesting that, you know, as a result of the lawsuit, you know, you know, a, I guess it's not surprising that their business has been effectively shut down. But what's interesting is uh, that the extreme pivot to something else uh, is very intriguing. I feel like we could do a really meaty special episode on Freenom, except for the fact that Daniel would get mad at me for how many four-letter words I used. It's a family show, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it could be Breaking Badness After Dark or something. Um, yeah, it. this is just a very small um, portion of the weirdness that trailed Freenom around the internet for a good 10 years or so. Um, they've been doing this a long time and it took, you know, Meta really coming down hard on them. But to get them to stop, um, I, if they're actually getting out of the business, I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, yeah, very, very interesting. So. Would you say, Kelly, like the like right now, uh, like it, it's just something that we would maybe want to keep an eye on story wise, and and uh, there there might be updates later on we can discuss about you know the outcome of of this uh, business pivot. I will be watching. Yeah, I think that's very possible. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's very very interesting, and and. I love the timeliness of the of the release and our recording of this episode. That that was very that was also very fortuitous. Um, but I think we will go into our hoodie rating for this particular story now. Um, so Ian, after you know having heard this uh, this story and the information, how how would you rate this from one to ten? So I'm probably going to give it about a five. It's not you know, super technical. It's not super dangerous, but just the sheer volume of bad crap that um, uh, Freenom put out as part of it. And the fact that um, email is sticky. It, it's, it, it depends on users to be fastidious and precise. And we all know that um, users have problems being uh, fastidious and precise if the system isn't engineered to make them. So uh, I think it, it definitely has the potential to be big problems. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. Kelly, do you feel similarly at uh, at, at a five or, or what are you thinking? I think that's a pretty good assessment. The thing is that the the real risk of this situation is that somebody finds a needle in the haystack and it's a big haystack um, but if they find the needle it could be a very damaging needle or not so I don't it, it's hard to say that it's a big threat right now could it become one in the future if people got lucky, yes. It makes me kind of want to start uh, sending emails to 
uh, .ml addresses as if they're going to .mil. You know, just interesting looking things to try and see if I can get a response from uh, the other side that's supposed to be sinkholing them. Yeah, you know, I uh, don't know that I would troll the Wagner group, but that's me. Yeah, yeah, I kind of, sometimes I poke the bear a little, or I'm a little too eager to poke the bear. All right. Well, thanks so much, Kelly, for sharing that story. We are going to keep an eye on this. And, you know, as as things unfold, we will we will discuss again. But uh, before we exit today, uh, we will you know do our gold guidance and grievances. So if again, if you're a newer listener, uh, we'd like to conclude our shows by um, sharing something that's good that's happening within the industry. That's our gold. Um, any advice we might have, and then uh, any gripes uh, or a- AKA grievances, you know, within the industry. And also, if you're a newer listener, we don't do them in that order because we found out when we say gold guidance and grievances, and we end the show on a down note. It is. It's a bummer for for everybody. So it. So it's more grievances, guidance, and gold. But that doesn't sound as good. Um, <laughs> So, Ian, uh, maybe we'll kick things off with you. How uh, can you share your gold guidance and grievances? Not in that order. <laughs> Certainly, uh, I I think that my grievance will uh, resonate, especially with this crowd, and it's with uh, uh, jerks that ransomware hospitals anywhere in the world for any reason. If you are ransoming a uh, hospital. You are a terrible person, and I hope you get what you deserve. So that's that's my simply stated grievance for this week. That's fair enough. Um, my uh, my guidance would be to uh, Windows users, especially Outlook users and Zoom users. You want to perform all your updates as soon as possible. There were some uh, severe CVEs that came out for Outlook and for Zoom for uh, Windows and for Windows itself. So uh, go do your updates, do them now before you forget. My, uh, my gold is going to circle back to the, uh, the start of our conversation because I, I pulled up Selena Larson's Excellent. Valentine's. And I'll, I'll pick two. Uh, just so I'm not reading uh, all of them, but uh, this is uh, Selena Larson of uh, Proofpoint. Uh, she put these up on uh, Mastodon. The first is, hey, are you a spam email? Because your contact attempts have been discarded, which is also clever because the Proofpoint uh, uh, podcast gonna, is called this. I'm going to need Kelly so to weigh in on a spam-related uh, conversation heart. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a pretty good one. I have to say. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right, and the uh, next one, which uh, I think was was the best of the ones she posted: roses are red, violets are blue. Strong passwords are sweet, but you need MFA too. I like that. That was very su- very sweet. <laughs> Absolutely. So Selena gets gets my gold. Perfect. This week. Excellent. Thanks, Ian. Kelly, what are what are your gold guidance and grievances, starting with grievances and working our way back? So my grievance this week is key trap. Um, 
key trap is a vulnerability that was revealed this week. Uh, apparently, there's a flaw in the RFC um, for DNSSEC that causes somebody to be able to form a query that will lead to CPU exhaustion and take down the server, which is terrible. Um, and one of the issues associated with it is that since it's in the RFC, every implementation is vulnerable. So that was, I don't know if it's a grievance so much as something I found horrifying um, this week, but it is. It can be both. Yeah, it's, it's genuinely horrifying. So my guidance would be to, you know, patch your servers. Do it. Go do it now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Just do it. Um, and that's that's good advice for any situation. But for this one, if you run a DNS resolver, do that now. And then gold, I, I'm kind of a geek, but I'm pretty excited that new MacBook Airs are coming out. An M3 MacBook Air. Oh, that's exciting! Yeah, <laughs> I can't wait. I like that. That's good news. That's good gold. Good gold on both of your parts, and I like that. Yeah, it it's so much better when we end on gold than a grievance, because otherwise, I'm like, I don't know how to end the show now. <laughs> I know how. I'm I'm on Apple's website looking at MacBooks now. <laughs> Thanks, Kelly. They're so shiny. Dreaming about a new MacBook. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ian and Kelly, for for joining me today uh, and uh, and recording on an off day. As again, we are are we are observing President's Day on Monday, but this will be out uh, next Wednesday for our listeners. Um, thank you to our listeners as well. Uh, we love that you tune in every week and hang out with us for a little bit um join us again next week for an all-new episode of breaking badness um as ian would say uh but i think he got it from somewhere else stay frosty out there <laughs> that would be corporal Dwayne hicks of the u.s space Marines. gotcha yep that's where that comes from but it fits here too stay frosty and have a great week everybody talk to you next time bye-bye thanks kelly thanks folks That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter, at DomainTools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at DomainTools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.